netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for taking the time to download our podcast today. I'm John Montgomery. Before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor of this week's podcast, and that's Shotgun Software. I don't know if you've seen the news at FX Guide recently, but they've had a couple big announcements. One was that they acquired a Tweak Software, an RV, and that they'll be bundling RV at no additional charge for all Shotgun customers beginning in April. They also announced a significant price reduction as well. The basic subscription went down to $30 from $50, and they also reduced the price of their super awesome support level as well. To get all the details or sign up for a free trial, head on over to shotgunsoftware.com. This weekend, the U.S. box office was a bit off, kind of a slow weekend, but uh, Chappie took the crown, taking in over $13 million, and that's our subject this week. Mike Seymour is going to be chatting with Chris Harvey from Image Engine, and he served as the overall visual effects supervisor on the show. We've got a lot of really cool stuff they covered, including talking about or dispelling the notion of the fact that they did uh, motion capture, performance capture on set, as was widely reported uh, early on. Uh, talked about some interesting techniques for interacting with um, real-life objects in the scene to bring a bit of more believability to Chappie's performance, and then just the overall uh, production pipeline, including the render. It's a really great discussion, so let's go ahead and join that now. It's Mike Seymour chatting with Chris Harvey. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations. A uh, lot of anticipation for this film, even from the earliest days. Uh, you must have been thrilled to be working on it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, very, very excited to... You know, when I started on this, to be to be able to be part of a film with Neil, and I mean, apart from the fact that uh, the director has such a terrific reputation for being both collaborative and a great filmmaker, you had a terrific cast of actors in this as well. So it was from the outset there must have been quite a lot of pressure on you guys to deliver on what is, after all, the central character. Yeah, you know, he's uh, Chappie's the the namesake of the title, so there's definitely there, there's no lack of pre- pressure on this one at all. <laughs> so, um. The, the shot count must be absurdly high on actually Chappie because he's just in so much of the film. Um, and I'm guessing that that all just fell on you, right? I mean, or rather your team. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, roughly, I think, close to a thousand shots of Chappie. Um, I think it comprises close to 70 minutes, somewhere between 60 and 70 minutes of actual screen time that he's, that he's in the film. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he plays a fairly significant role um, in the film. Yeah. And, uh, you know, aside from, you know, there was some back and forth that we can get into later about, you know, what a workshop on us, what a workshop did fabricate practical droids, but those were only used for, um, if they were off, if they were ever moving or, or in any kind of acting role, it was always, you know, an all CG character. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because, um, I have seen obviously some of where workshops, uh, stuff, um, in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know, guess how stuff um, looked on set when they were filming it in the background. It seemed like there was a sort of fairly active droid um, mechanical device for the actors to work with. Was that only eyeline or in the scenes where he just wasn't moving, sometimes they could actually play off a physical uh, uh, prop? Um, the, yeah, the, so the prop was used in, I mean, it was actually some incredible prop work, um, like huge, like kudos to those guys, both, both Chappie and the, the Moose, which is the large mech, um, some absolutely incredible stunning props, but they were basically used anytime, um, 
the scouts were off. There's a number of scenes, you know, where they where they're off or where they're hanging on, on racks or if they're dragging them um, or moose, and you know, when he's just standing around in a big uh, hangar. All of those were practical, but as soon as there was any kind of movement, even if it's just a close-up type thing, 100% CG. So, um, what was the philosophy in terms of the motion of the character? Because it's not obvious how much. Uh, at the outset, you'd want a robotic character to look robotic and how much you'd want them to have uh, a lot more humanity, given that the whole premise of the film is, you know, Chappie's uh, sentient nature. Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question and um, something that we got involved really, really early. We were involved in this film, you know, well, I mean, there were some tests done years and years ago to greenlight the film, but involved in the Chappie as we know it now, probably six to eight months out from shooting, um, which is much earlier than normal. And that really was all based on designing Chappie, uh, both his look and his movement. So there was a lot of motion studies we did and, and kind of, you know, the end result of um, a lot of time doing a lot of mapping between Charlotte, who, who was going to be playing Chappie on, on screen uh, when they filmed it on set, um, versus our robot proportions and joint placements and things like that, and coming up with a whole kind of um, armature system. And it was really important to Neil and to myself. We didn't want to do any kind of the typical cheats you might do in, in CG with robots where, you, you know, if you don't see it, it's okay if things are crashing through and stuff like that. We really, really wanted Chappie to be um, 100% physical, accurate in terms of, of how these things um, work. And Neil didn't also, he didn't want any what he called cheating with ball joints. Everything had to be um, a little bit more... Um, I guess mechanical, and I think it went for that because of strength, you know. A single hinge joint can be very, very strong on that one axis, and these things were supposed to be released for robots. And so we had to come up with very complicated mechanical systems to um, replicate the movement. And then once we got all that working, then there was the whole, you know, question of how do they move? Do we want them really robotic, or do we want them more fluid? And, and there was some back and forth, uh, and even Charlotte got involved in these discussions. And, and kind of what was decided from a creative aspect was when they're scouts or the, the police robots, we want them more mechanical. And so, you know, we asked the stunt performers who who did the Gracie performance on set to do to, to be a little stiffer in their movement, to be more military style. Um, and then on top of that, we would embellish that uh, and, and make it a little bit snappier, a little bit more robotic. But once it got into Chappie, we wanted him to be as fluid as Charlotte wanted to perform in, which was very, very loose, um, purposely to sort of make a visual difference of movement between the scouts and then the chappie who's got the full AI. And then the mechanicalness of that fluid movement would just naturally happen because of the way we had designed all of the jointing earlier on. Uh, so it was, it was an interesting process. So it allowed him to move fluidly and yet still have a sense of sort of mechanics running through it because the, the joint articulation was was you know different than a human now let's talk about the the head face um expressiveness clearly this is uh critical i mean we just have to have an enormous amount of empathy with the character it seemed to me that while the obvious thing is you know sort of a human reference the the kind of antenna things on the side of his head for me read like dog slash uh horse in a in a kind of a weird eyebrow hybrid that seemed incredibly effective for expression is that i mean does that came quickly or no, you know that was a big that was a big question really <laughs> with with, uh, with the film is, you know we were pretty confident we could make him look real and he could sit in the scene and and all of that stuff but but that next step of making sure that the audience was going to be able to connect to him on an emotional level um, was always the question on how successful that was going to be because we don't have 
we didn't have a face that we could emote with. We had an eyebrow, an upper eyebrow bar, like you said, and a lower one, and then his two ears. Um, and and we really had to play with well, how do we how do we get that to perform emotionally? And it was actually quite surprising the amount. Uh, of range of emotion we could use just using those four things. Um, and then we would steal other things from Charlotte's performance. Like his, if he was doing little eye darts, sometimes we would steal those darts, but instead of, you know, we don't have eyes, we'd put those darts onto the whole head. So his head would dart around like an eye. Um, and, and you'd look for nuances that you could sort of put into other areas of Chappie to help, help it read the same way. Um, but the whole dog thing is funny, you know, there's that shot in there where he, he kind of comes up in the van between the two seats talking to Ninja and Yankee and um, everyone laughs. Like It's like this, this puppy dog that pops his head up and he's like all excited. Um, so it's an interesting, interesting that you reference that. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting device because eyebrows, you know, we kind of know those but that that ear action um because i just have dogs and stuff but the way that they would that would sort of flick back it, it gave an incredible expressiveness but i know the same thing is true with horses um and mm-hmm. was the design always to have that because it's such a prominent thing and you read it for quite a distance as well yeah i mean those were that's something that you know neil had way back on his tetraball short years ago um you know and i think it was more of an homage to some, some old anime but um you know, I think I don't know that they were ever put there specifically by him for emotion, but it was definitely the, one of the first things we grabbed onto. Was like, well, we'll make those move, and that'll help help sell it. And we went through a lot of testing of of how far to push things. We actually post-viz, You know, this is actually an incredible task that Neil <laughs> put on us. But once the movie wrapped um, and all the shots came in, uh, there was a requirement by him that um, in no audience screening would anyone ever see Charlotte. Uh, and the first audience screen, you know, we wrapped photography in sort of the end of January. And the first audience screening was mid-March. So we had to replace, um, we had to put Chappie into every single shot within a two-month period of the entire film. Um, obviously not at the level of the final renders, but in sort of a post-vis version of him. But what that allowed us to do was really play with with how to push with very loose animation, you know, not even final tracks on cameras and things like that, but we got to play with those emotions, like how almost cartoonish can we go with, with the ear performance? You know, his body is super hyper-realistic, but how far can we push the eyebrows and the ears? And we, we found that we could push them very far, like big movements, really snappy, and it really helped to sell that and read the emotion. Shalto's performance, can you discuss your relationship to that performance technically? Not, not you know, as a as a person, but just in terms of like, what, what was he providing on set? How did you translate that? And how did the, the animation and your supervision kind of take that on board? Sure. You know, that it's probably actually a fairly big, um, I guess, misunderstanding. There's been a lot of people talking about all the motion capture and performance capture that we used on set. We actually didn't do any motion capture, um, at all. Um, it, it was all, uh, just hand keyframed. But what Charlotte provided was, I mean, the animators still matched his performance. So, you know, you could almost call it poor man's motion capture or poor man's performance capture. Uh, it was used for the same reason. We just did it by hand. And so he, you know, he gave us, you know, aside from just, you know, what it gave the filmmakers having Chappie there, quote unquote, Charlotte, um, perform with all of the other actors and them interacting with each other and, you know, being able to direct him and things like that on the day. Um, he also wore a GoPro on his head the whole time so that we could capture his POVs. And he wore these little wires on his head to give sort of the camera framing for how big the ears might stick up. 
Um, and then we had him in the, you know, the typical gray suit and the, and the chest piece, the plastic sort of chappy box chest was also, um, was painted the same gray color. And then we would calibrate all that stuff, um, reproduce it digitally. So we actually had a, a gray suit version of Chappie in the computer that we could then um, use as a calibration for our lighting setup. So aside from the performance we would get, we also got very accurate lighting reference. We could actually, you know, measure the gray values of, of, and all the light values and stuff on the gray suit against our, our gray Chappie and really help to calibrate our light rigs. Um, so that was awesome. And then, you know, Ch uh, Charlton and I talked a lot about just his performance in general and how how we really needed him to do a lot of body language acting, maybe more so than if he was a human performer to embellish a little bit more of the body because we were going to rely on it for the emotional aspect of the character. I'm sure you'd agree with me. One of the really amazing um, aspects about doing this is if you, you know, you do actually need and, and, uh, and you had a very good actor playing a role, even though that actor isn't going to be seen. Like there's a lot that mm -hmm. somebody can creatively contribute, even if you're not motion capturing them. And, and I don't, and I think you can overplay the motion capture aspect. It's still incredibly helpful to have that collaborative um, actor oh. decision-making process on set. Absolutely indispensable. I mean, you could. There's, there's no way that Chappie would have been successful without Charlto. You know, um, what he brought to the project was absolutely. You know, you, you could put a value on how important that was. And you know, even though it wasn't truly motion captured, his his performance was referenced you know, one-to-one, -one. we were always checking back to, to the timing and, and his placement and everything, you know, it was, it was very, very crucial to the, to the project. So you also have a couple of, uh, hip hop, uh, sort of, um, musicians from Cape Town, uh, in, and I'm, I'm not interested so much in their performances, which is great, but like, they're not as experienced as actors as, you know, maybe some did, was there any eyeline issues? Did you, I mean, cause you know, obviously you, you need to be able to get these things to connect and, I'm just wondering, was there any uh, difficulty in just getting the actors to work with a virtual character? Not really, because, you know, because we had Charlto there and we actually had risers in his shoes to make sure that eye lines were going to match between right. the digital Chappie and him. So we made, there was a lot of work that went into ahead of time, making sure that those things were all going to sync up. Um, and then with the, with the moose, obviously we can't have an actor playing, you know, this giant mech. Um, we, we went really old school. We had actually quite often one of our uh, match movers um, walking around with a pole on a tennis ball uh, for eye lines. And we would do that for rehearsals with the intention of pulling him out <laughs> so that we didn't have to paint him away later. But the actors got so used to him being there um, that they demanded we put him back in the shots because they were actually playing off of him. Right. So we ended up having our match mover ended up being quite a bit of the film that we'd have to remove. And then when the moose flies around, um, we would uh, we had a drone team out there that would fly dr a drone around and that would be the eye line so there was always there's always something for the actors to look at um and react to i mean in the case of moose they just think you know a little helicopter drone in the air um but i think what helped that is you know we did have you know weta did build this practical moose for you know when he's just standing there not turned on and you know all of the actors went in and saw this thing and they really got a sense of the scale and like holy crap this thing is huge and it's really scary so they could, you know, call back to that memory when they were on set looking at the tennis ball. Um, just from a technical point of view, uh, now if we shift away from the sort of more uh, collaborative artistic nature, can you just give us a rundown on, on how you actually uh, rendered Chappie? Like what was the technical pipeline? What were you rendering in? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the main pipeline uh, for, the, for the CG is, was Maya um, in terms of 
where they were operating, the effects were done in Houdini, um, comping and nuke, uh, and the render of choice uh, at Image Engine is three to light, so that's what they were using there. Uh, but they were utilizing it in, in a, a different, like in a 100% ray trace, all physical base lighting, physical base shading, a whole new pipeline that they wrote for the film um, to really take advantage of you know physically accurate algorithms so you were you were the visual effects supervisor on the whole thing so i think you're referring there to image engines pipeline right sorry yeah because image engine so referring to them because they were the ones that handled yep. um the chappy so referring to how they did that you know there was a couple of other vendors on the show but image engine was the only one that dealt specifically with the robots yeah i mean that that realism stuff uh, if you do get that physically based lighting pipe to work does give you such visual authenticity it really uh, helps focus on the performances absolutely and you know we were on set we, we really went to great lengths to um you know even though there was no digital environment extensions on the film um all of the environments that chappie was in um we created a version of it digitally and obviously it was a lower res version because it doesn't have to be rendered and, and put into the shot but what it did have to be done um it had to be present in Chappie's environment where we were going to render Chappie. So we, you know, we photo surveyed and then modeled out the whole, all of the environments that he was in. And then, you know, typically you'll run out and you grab your HDRI. We would run out and grab quite a few HDRIs. So if he walked through the room, we would grab HDRIs all along the path of his movement so that we would have sort of a, a spatial reconstruction of the lighting as opposed to just a single sphere. And then we would take those, stitch them together and reproject those back into this sort of low res digital environment and then use rather than just the sort of the spherical reprojection, we would we're reprojecting off an accurate model of the set so that spatially you would feel the proximity of the reflections and the lights as he moved through the volume. And it really added a lot to his lighting. So uh, you mentioned that the pipeline was Maya. I mean, is there a universal model that you're using for Chappie or was there specific models like we've got a face model and a arm model? And I mean, how much was it sort of uh, pick and choose and how much was it just one great thing out of the gate? Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's a single character in the film and all the scouts look exactly the same, but he actually has, uh, he's not a single digital asset. He's actually, he's uh, 17 digital assets. Uh, and that's, that's wow. really just because of the progression that he has to go through. You know, he... At the beginning of the film, he looks more like the police robot. Then he takes an RPG to the chest, and we've got a whole new damage state that we have to go through for him. Um, you know, he gets beaten up by the teenagers and takes new damage. His arm gets sawn off, a new arm gets put on. Um, you know, he gets graffitied, he gets the chains added, and then Moose shoots the crap out of him, and he's got big bullet holes. So there was a huge range of progression um, that resulted in 17 different digital assets and then you know we had to track all of those changes throughout the whole film which actually became quite a, a technical challenge for the guys you know you had to write a whole pipeline just for tracking how that information would flow in the continuity you know he's got a battery light um, that doesn't result in a new asset but that that battery light level you know being a very important part of the story has to track from shot to shot so that it, it you know in the time of the film moves appropriately you know from yeah. wherever it starts at down to this low low value and all those things had to just track throughout for continuity so there's a lot of a lot of versions of digital assets that had to track through properly but i know and i understand that in terms of uh you know mapping that uh wear and tear as it moves through the film but in terms of being able to achieve the animation was there sort of a master asset or um uh, in terms of rigging and stuff we actually we had um one 
pretty clever way they had it. They had one master asset and literally all of those things would feed in. So you would just toggle switches and it would swap in the appropriate parts for it. And all of that was automatic. So if an animator loaded up a shot and was like, I'm working on such and such shot, it would, you know, his rig would come in, which is the same rig that he always uses. And then it would just load all the different parts that would be needed uh, for the appropriate shot as it tracked that through. Um, so one master rig um, with many, many, many different um pieces that would bolt onto it based on wherever he was supposed to be within that damage. From a technical point of view, again, I mean, Chappie's hands are quite articulated, which is, you know, great, but he's he's interacting with things. Now, if he's holding a gun, I presume it's a CG gun, but when he's interacting with other things and popping up over and grabbing things, it obviously has to be quite physical in the scenes at times. Were you replacing the objects he was touching? What did you sort of do where that boundary line was? It was a big mix, actually, and that was actually um, something that was really important to me um, on the film was the interactions, and it's something I encouraged. Um, I actually encouraged Neil and the crew to do much more than they anticipated they wanted to do. Like they were, you know, trying to play it quite safe. It's like, oh, we got to be careful how much stuff he touches or interacts with, or how many people put their hands on him, because you know, as everyone knows, that is very difficult to then stitch that real world back into Chappie. And I actually, I pushed them really hard to actually embellish and do more of it uh, because I knew that the more of that that we had in there it, it was just one more thing that could help ground Chappie into the scene so that people would you know recognize he's there and they could skip over that and get to the emotional stuff so it was really important for me to to have them really push that interaction and so um, it was a big mix you know in in many cases if he was holding something that he was only holding we would go all digital with it and just replace it um, there are still cases though if he was holding a gun we would actually keep the plate gun or we'd do clever swaps you know if something wiped across it we would we would do a handoff between the CG and the plate um, and then we would add we added um, he's, he's wearing this chain the gold chains that he gets you know part way through the yep. film and originally there was only a couple of them when we photographed it and you know Neil came to me he's like you do think we could add more and I'm like I would love for you to add more so we ended up with these four chains on them um, and I wanted those to like bump into things and you know I think I think we ended up having 450 shots that we had to sim of these chains and it's all <laughs> true rigid body sims between every single link and you know if he moves past the desk or the wall and they bump it and they bounce off something that's in the plate or someone, you know, Dion's Dev Patel's Dion's hand goes in and moves them aside, you know, or even Chappie interacting with himself because everyone knows what a change should do. So it's like that helps anchor it in reality. So we really tried to encourage as much interaction as we could. Um, and it was a, you know, a careful game of, um, like there, there's some things that were just, there was no way to go CG with it. We just had to keep the plate. It was just painstaking roto and, and paint to, you know, and, and then, comp to try to integrate that back all in but it really helped to sell that he was there yeah yeah no it does it, it, i mean it's just that contact well contact lighting and physical contact are just uh i, I guess key to that um interaction stuff so we just mentioned a couple of the other companies uh really quickly because chappie's view of the world is more than just a, a quick cutaway it um it provides and informs us as an audience um who did those so yeah, the, all the POVs were done by the embassy. Uh, it's another you know uh, facility here in Vancouver. Um, great company, uh, and you know they handled they handled the scout POVs, Moose's POVs, and then all of Chappie's POVs. And there really wasn't a very important um, you know just a distinction between the three of them, and also a similarity because they're all technically their their base interface is all from Tetraball, the same company. But Neil also wanted it to be clearly different. Uh, between each of them and then and then Chappie's actually had to help tell the story of him learning and so you know we have sort of the um, 
who knows how many people pick up on these little subtleties that you put in there. But there's the like a like a web cloud. If you go to a wiki page and you see the little text text clouds and the you know the important things click on the most, the words are bigger and smaller yep. and stuff like that. You know, he he builds that text cloud for himself off in the corner of his of his POV. And as he's learning words or as people are becoming more important to him, those ones get bigger. And you know, there's all kinds of little cues in there that just help tell his story of how he's learning and, and sort of seeing the world. Uh, and that stuff was all really important to help subtly drive that story forward of, of his personal development. I've seen the B-roll from on set and there was a lot of special effects. Um, and I presume you had a good working relationship with special effects, but I mean, wires, rigs, stunts, like you guys were not pulling any punches on set. No, it was awesome. Uh, Max Pullman was the uh, special effects supervisor. He was great to work with. You know, he was, it's funny. They do things a little bit different in South Africa when they film. There's, <laughs> There's less restrictions, and just that, you know you can you can blow stuff up a little bit easier than <laughs> you can in other places. Uh, they they seem to be quite happy to to make things uh, really big. Right. So Washington, um, so yeah, was, Washington, you awesome. can't even fly over for visual reference, and South Africa, you can let you can let bombs oh, yeah. go and you fly can, drones. Exactly. Right. It was it was awesome. Like some of the you know there was we had this one scene you know where Moose rains down fire, and it's even in the trailer if people have not yet seen the film but you know there's these these explosions happening on the ground and we shot it one day and we went back and you know reviewed all the footage and it was like you know what if we've got time let's shoot that again i think it could be a little bit bigger and on the on the day you know it went off and we were like holy crap like max what did you do and he's like well you guys said a little bit bigger and i mean these things were triple the size quadruple the size and that's what's in the film it's awesome um but like he had he always was happy to make things explode or, or to really push it. It was really great. I have to admit, uh, there's a B-roll shot of the first unit filming, and uh, it's on uh, a track, and they're running along this track, and these huge amounts of explosions go off uh, from when the, um, uh, the police uh, scouts are doing stuff. My point is, though, the entire first unit gets just engulfed in smoke. I mean, I swear to God, it looks like... Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the beginning of the shot is in the film, but by the end, I was like, I wouldn't have known it's which way was a up. a total cloud. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There was, there was more than one of those occasions where, you know the explosion went off and the smoke finally cleared and they kind of the camera crew walked out just covered in a layer of dust it was, it was pretty funny by the way what were you shooting and what cameras was this on it was on the red yeah the primary primary uh, camera was the was the epic um then there was some sony cameras uh, gopros actually we use a lot of gopros for all of the uh, povs the all of the stunt performers and uh um uh so whenever they were playing a scout or chappy, had a had a GoPro stuck on their forehead, um, which always required a little bit of extra paint out for us. But um, they ran hundreds of hours of GoPro footage because they never knew when they wanted to cut to a POV. Hmm. So yeah, it was interesting. And uh, what were you shooting on the red? Were you shooting four K five? What was the? Uh, how'd you find it? Uh, we I think it was four and a half. 5K was full full app, and then we posted in kind of a. I mean, they were all anamorphic lenses. We posted in sort of a three and a half to 3K kind of somewhat downscaled version of it, and that was what. And then the final output was, I think, put back up to 4K for you know Sony standard release. But yeah, because the uh, if it's shot in anamorphic, it can actually make the uh, camera tracking uh, quite difficult. And the camera tracking guys hardly ever get any points, but anamorphic tracking camera tracking. Even if the lens is slightly off, is uh, is a nightmare, isn't it? Absolutely, you know the guys did a, and, and you know it is actually good shout out to you know those some of those teams that are 
you know, a little bit earlier on in the, in the pipe and CG that barely gets recognized. Um, incredible amount of work that they had to do, uh, with all the camera tracking. Uh, like you said, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in some of these shots. Um, and, and they have to be, there's no forgiveness when you're putting in this, you know, a digital character that's interacting with everyone. The tracks have to be so bang on, um, and, and so solid that there really is no room for error. And they did an absolutely bang up job. And the same thing with the, you know, the BG prep people, like we had to remove, Charlotte in a lot of shots um you know and that's a that's a lot of gray suit to paint out uh over a thousand shots and, and you know they did in the roto for the interaction and you know being able to layer chappie in they did a phenomenal amount of work for, for the uh, I, I don't know if you said earlier I, I missed it if you did but did you do any lidar um in addition to the set of hdrs and set scanning survey stuff no, no actual LIDAR. A um, couple of reasons for that. The main reason was just, you know, just time. Uh, Neil shoots incredibly quickly. And because this film didn't, uh, wasn't on stages, it was literally all location-based, you know, we might only be in a location for a couple of hours and then moving to another one and then another one. You might be in three locations in a day. And, and some of the locations were actually, you know, security-wise, not necessarily the safest places. You know, there was one location that actually... The crew was, I think, maybe a quarter of the crew was even allowed to go, and there was, like, escape routes planned if things went sideways. Um, so it wasn't always – it just wasn't really um, conducive to, to having a LiDAR team in there for a day just walking around shooting wow. uh, LiDAR. So yeah. I mean, was, you, uh, you just very even, quick-paced. You might be able to set off more explosions, but you're right. Some of those areas, I hadn't even thought of that, uh, just aren't that secure. Yeah, I mean, we literally staged a riot in, you know, Hillbrow, which is, you know, known for having a horrible riot many years ago that was, you know, sort of riot central. And, and we did a mock one, a fake one, you know, with things burning and being thrown out windows and coming off roofs. And, and it was a real concern that, like, well, this could actually start a riot, that we're, we're recreating one. Um, you know, you never know how things will go. But, the, you know, the people were all awesome. I, I don't remember any, any problems uh, on location whenever I was there. With, with any of the um, the local people that you know we were inconveniencing by you know shutting their streets down and whatnot, so it was it was good. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned earlier uh, Ninja and Diane Wood stuff, and and that they're obviously you know musicians by by uh, trade initially. But um, the other end of the spectrum is you actually had you know sci-fi royalty on set in terms of Sigourney and uh, and for that matter. Uh, an, an Australian actor who's done a little bit of a sci-fi work, and um, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, in those VR sequences and stuff like that, um, I mean, uh, did you just? I guess there was like a level of comfort with visual effects. It must have been nice to have on set. Plus, I think the director is, of course, incredibly comfortable with visual effects. Uh, just in terms of your experience with working on the production on set. Yeah, it was it was great. You know, like everyone was very very collaborative. Neil's awesome for visual effects because I mean that is his background so he really does understand things uh, and we really we were really trying to, to um, make a point of trying not to be in the way um, maybe even more so than than you know on other films I've been on like we really wanted to have a very small footprint on the film because it, Neil does shoot very very quickly um, and, and this is an emotional story and so we really didn't want to be in the way of any of that, so to speak. Um, I listened to an interview a few days ago of, of uh, uh, our Australian friend, Hugh. Um, <laughs> Hugh and, Jackman is, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> by the way, getting yeah. him to wear a mullet is, uh, <laughs> was one of the greatest uh, special effects in the whole film, I thought, anyway. He was, you know, he is such a good guy to work with, just a, a true gentleman, really, really good. But he, you know, remarked how it, 
it didn't feel like a, even though it's such a visual effects movie, he's like, it didn't feel like a visual effects movie. It just felt like, a, you know, shooting a movie without, you know, not that we're, well, we are a bit cumbersome in visual effects sometimes, you know, we, there's a lot of data that we have to capture. There's a lot of stuff that we need to take care of that we're going to have to deal with back in post. Uh, and we really tried to make an effort to, to really minimize that. That's even one of the reasons we didn't go with motion capture on set because, you know, with motion capture on set, it's a lot of equipment that we've got to bring out, you know, got to manage. And we just kind of wanted to be invisible um, out there. And, you know, not every movie you can do that on this one. We were fortunate that, you know, because of how we approached it and things, we were able to do that. It was really nice. Um, so let's move to, to post now. And uh, you mentioned already this idea of having to get a bunch of shots up pretty quickly so the audience, test audiences didn't um, see stuff. But but in terms of getting – because, you know, you are delivering performances. It's it's you know so not post-production. It's, it's sort of first-unit production to be delivering these hero performances. What was your yep. review cycle like and, uh, and how did that kind of work? Not Not in terms of – you know, the sort of cold logistics, but how often did you want to get that in front of the director? Did you want to get it pretty much that you were personally comfortable with the shot in terms of performance or you'd prefer to get stuff as soon as you can, as early as you can in front of the director? Uh, I mean, it kind of evolved um, over the, over the course of the show. I mean, as probably any show does, but um, you know, we, before we even got to the sort of the, the actual post, we spent an enormous amount of time. Like I mentioned, we came on, you know, six to eight months earlier and really started the build of Chappie. So we've been working on that asset for almost a year by the time we actually had real turnover. So Chappie as a, as a model was incredibly dialed in in terms of um, sort of the look development of him. So when we rendered him, we were pretty confident he was going to look good, which was, a, which was a good thing. And we'd already prepped. We had a lot of time to prep um, you know, how the animation takes or dailies were going to look. And there was, you know, they, they would render, they were more than just, you know, they were, they were not as advanced as a full lighting render, but they weren't as low res as sort of just a regular animation play blast. Um, and then when we got into this post viz, you know, it, it turned out to be a, a real big bonus for us, even though it was a huge hurdle to try to achieve. Um, we got a pass of every shot within a couple months. Um, and, and even though that wasn't, you know, final anim by any mean or final tracking, it gave something for Neil to see. And so we got very, very, very early feedback, far earlier than you normally would in, in a film like this, just because of that sort of demand he put on us to have everything replaced for the screeners. So he was able to respond very early, which what that meant was once we got into actual animation, um, I could take it quite a ways um, before I showed it to him because I already had a pretty good idea of what he wanted. And, you know, I'd take it up to, you know, past blocking, but not near final. I'd show him that. He'd give all his final kind of notes, show him one more time or how many other times to get it to final. But it eventually got to the point where, you know, he wouldn't have to final the animation before he wanted it pushed on. So, you know, he'd see, he'd see it when I was comfortable seeing it. He'd give any notes he wanted, and then we wouldn't show it to him again until it was in compositing, you know, and the shot was near, near final. Um, and we just had that level of trust and, you know, he and I were on the same page, you know, his office was two blocks from mine. So we talked all the time. Um, and, and it, you know, it was very, very, that level of trust was very good. And because of that post viz, we had such early access to, to everything, um, which was really, really beneficial. Cause just from the editor's point of view, not even the director's point of view, like trying to cut together stuff where, you know, okay, well, this may be working for the actor that is playing this character, um, and 
you know, maybe I can judge that scene. But when you've got, uh, for example, the mechs, the, you know, um, uh, Vincent stuff going on, I mean, you really mm-hmm. need something to cut to because how long do you hold on the shot? You know, you just don't know if it's interesting enough if there's nothing there in the shot. Yeah, the the stuff with um, with Moose, the mech, was definitely um, the trickiest because that one doesn't have – you can't cut to Charlotte. You know, we don't have someone who's playing Moose. So that was certainly um, – more challenging in terms of uh, from an editorial aspect and and the blocking was much more involved than it was with Chappie you know we could get a very loose sort of rough animation in there of of, uh, of Chappie over Charlotte and it kind of works but with Moose it was a much more iterative process and, and uh, you know Neil was more involved in, in really helping block those scenes out and you know we didn't do any previews for it Neil, Neil doesn't uh, particularly enjoy previews um, so we didn't do any previews ahead of time. So, you know, we, we blocked things out, we shot it, and then we had to put it all in as, as quickly as we could to help flush the sequence out. And that was, that was actually the last sequence to really solidify editorially. And I think that's why it was, was because there is a lot more back and forth in terms of, you know, what is going to be on the screen because Moose isn't there. Yeah, well, look, it's a terrific uh, thing uh, performance that you guys managed to pull together. Terrific team that you had, uh, obviously, pulling that together. Um, and uh, once again, you know, uh, <laughs> congratulations because I, I can't remember the last time that uh, we saw a film like this so far out that I've universally, both professionals and not professionals, have just seen a trailer and got, oh, I so want to see that. That looks awesome. <laughs> so well done. Oh, thank you. That was it. Was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for your time. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks, guys, for that, and thanks, Chris, for taking the time to chat with us. Really appreciate it. This is just one podcast of many at FX Guide. We also have the VFX show as well as the RC. Of course, we've got FX Guide TV. And then over at fxphd.com, we have our This Week at FXPHD podcast. That's basically Mike and I covering what's going on behind the scenes at FXPHD and giving everyone a bit of insight to what's happening over at that site. So be sure to check that out as well. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, For my friends and partners here at FX Guide, Mike Seymour and Jeff Huser, thanks for listening. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.